0: Chapter 19 of The Green Millennium. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Green Millennium by Fritz Leiber, Chapter 19. Third Millennium Thrills, A Thousand Feet of Free Fall. Recorded kisses and hugs, cuddle your favorite star, better than handy's your mind cleared in ten minutes, relive your childhood, you'll feel ripping as a rocket, test your strength against a BEM, kill Martians, throw rocks at glamour girls, fluorescent tattoos, Those were a few of the signs that flared and blared at Phil as he was marched across the springy, rubberized, plastibottle-strewn grounds of All Pleasures Amusement Park. The government crackdown on Fun Incorporated had produced a few tangible changes in double A.P., as far as Phil could judge from his last visit. The burlesque jukeboxes were padlocked. The rubberoid figures that would shimmy orgiastically for a quarter were shrouded from view. Dresses were perhaps an inch higher than usual on the bosoms of the girls working in concessions. There didn't seem to be any shifty-eyed gents recruiting special parties to meet a gambling robot or enjoy some other form of illegal entertainment. In front of the sideshow, someone was painting out the sign that read, See the woman with four mammary glands," Phil noticed Dion looking up at this defacement rather wistfully. Yet there was an uneasiness in the park, and it wasn't just that the crowd was light. Barkers called out too suddenly and stopped too soon. Customers hesitated uncomfortably in front of concessions, then shuffled morosely on. Overage glamour girls ready to dodge rubber rocks or have their bedclothes or skirts jerked off when a space ball hit its planet-simulating target were a trifle hysterical in the challenges they shrilled at passing patrons. The cries coming faintly from the top of the 1,000-foot drop in the spaceship ride weren't the usual terrified but delightful squeals. They sounded more like whales. Perhaps the fall of Fun Incorporated had caused people who pathetically treasured their thrills, or the money to be made from them, to wonder what next. Perhaps President Barnes's rambling apocalyptic speeches had finally taken effect, making people ask themselves what they were getting from the so-called pleasures of life, especially the more highly advertised ones. Perhaps the government directive just now being barked from the public news speakers for the destruction of all cats had given people a we'd be safer at home feeling. Or it may have been that the uneasiness at A P was part of a general feeling gripping America, a feeling that had been gathering power in the unconscious and just now burst into thought, a feeling that something that even the government couldn't handle was stalking invisibly whether for good or ill behind each man of course for phil menacing stalkers were two very definite figures carstairs and buck who at the moment were shepherding their unwilling assistance through the pupil of one of the several surrealistic eyes that served as the entrances to the bug-eyed bar tonight the gaudy tavern was emptier than the park outside its famous ten g highballs and stun gun cocktails were going begging its notoriously drunk hungry hostesses were conspicuous by their absence the only two customers were being served soda pop by the smaller of the two bartenders making it very simple for juno phil mary and dion To climb onto Numo barstools in front of the other bartender. Carstairs and Buck stood close behind them. Phil found it difficult to believe that the man in front of them was Joe Brimstein. For one thing, his hair was red, even to the stubble on his cheeks and chin. For another, the eyes that Mo had always kept behind dark glasses were as small and squinting as a pig's and although the fugitive from the fbl must recognize several of them he didn't show it in any way that phil could discern he looked them all over stolidly polishing the speckless bar with the immemorial soiled towel for that matter the whole bar looked much as a bar might have looked fifty or a hundred years before robots could not supervise b girls nor had they ever been legalized as bouncers. "'What's your pleasure?' the big redhead asked. Phil felt Carstairs's gun dig his ribs. He tried to wet his lips. "'Mr. Brimstein, I want my green cat,' he croaked. Mo Brimstein wrinkled his forehead. "'That made with creme de menthe, chartreuse, or green fire?' "'I mean my live green cat,' Phil told him. "'We don't serve drunks here,' Brimstein said evenly. "'Your friends had one too many. What would you ladies and gentlemen care for?' Mary Ackley opened her handbag and laid the Mo Brimstein doll on the counter before her. She looked at it thoughtfully for a moment and, with deliberate finickiness, took off its tiny dark glasses.' its eyes were piggy she smiled she replaced the glasses and fished out of her handbag a hat pin a pair of scissors a small knife a little pair of pliers a sample size flame pack a tiny iron with insulated handle and a white crusted black bottle and lined them up in a neat row this isn't a powder room lady brimstein said order your drinks Phil couldn't help but be impressed by the big man's composure, and then, without warning, he felt a gust of terror that he knew at once had nothing to do with guns behind him and could hardly stem from the childish paraphernalia for black magic Mary Ackley had set out. He could tell that the gust had hit Mo Brimstein, too, for the big man dropped the towel and buckled up against the shelves of bottles behind him. Mary Ackley said, "'Mr. Brimstein, you stole the green one, whom my husband adores, as Bast. You are going to suffer until you return him.' Her voice shook a little at first, then settled down to a cold and cruel monotone. "'I'm sorry I couldn't bring my little rack and iron maiden, but these implements are quite adequate.' She ignited the flame pack and held the tiny iron over it. Phil heard Juno draw in her breath, and Carstairs give a funny grunt behind him. The end of the iron grew red. Mary Ackley turned the doll over on its face and touched it lightly with the iron. Its pants smoked. Mo Brimstein gasped loudly and clapped his hand behind him. Then he grabbed tremblingly at the doll, but Mary maryackily closed her hand around its two arms and its middle. Instantly Brimstein's arms clamped down against his sides and stayed there. Mary stood the doll up. Brimstein straightened. She moved it away from her a few inches. Brimstein backed up into the shelves. Sweat beaded his forehead. Mary unexpectedly flicked the doll on the cheek with a hot iron. Mo Brimstein gasped again in pain and jerked his head back. This sort of thing is going to go on until you give us the green one, the young witch said matter-of-factly. Phil saw that a red spot had appeared on Mo Brimstein's ashen cheek. Only it's going to get much worse fast she amplified, reaching for the white-crusted bottle. Mo Brimstein started to say something, but she clamped the thumb of the hand holding the doll over its little mouth. "'After a while I'll be much more apt to trust the things you say,' she explained. Mo Brimstein's face grew red and his eyes bulged. Then a shadow came strolling softly along the top of the bar. Turning fearfully as he shrank away from it, Phil saw that it was green and silken and had a wise and winsome face. In a split second of realization, Phil knew that it was Lucky who had breathed supernatural terror at them, just as he had at the Humberford Foundation. Lucky who had opened Mo Brimstein's mind and built a bridge between it and Mary's, so that suggestion had made him experience everything happening to the doll. And then Phil realized that no further unpleasant things were going to happen to Mo Brimstein, and that no one was going to cause any trouble, even Carstairs or Buck. For suddenly all terror vanished, and friendliness and invincible good will begin to pour out of Lucky like scotch from a bottle. Phil could feel it enter and fill all the others. There were little sighs and chuckles. Mary Ackley's lean finger shrank from the white crusted bottle, then hurriedly swept all the implements off the bar into her bag. Lucky stood in front of Phil and stretched, slowly and luxuriantly working the muscles of his neck and back. Mo Brimstein beamed at the green cat, and the happy creases around his little eyes suggested those of Santa Claus. With an if-you-don't-mind to fill, he reached out his big hand and softly and wonderingly stroked the silky fur. "'You sure rescued Uncle Mo and the Nick,' he told Lucky, scratching behind his ears. "'I'm sincerely sorry for the things I did to you. I don't understand them now, and I'm sure glad you got yourself unstunned, though I don't understand how you did.' THEN HE STRAIGHTENED UP AND BOOMED OUT, WHAT'LL IT BE, FRIENDS? THE DRINKS ARE ON THE HOUSE. AND THEY WERE, TOO, SEVERAL QUICK HAPPY ROUNDS OF THEM. EVEN LUCKY GOT A COCKTAIL COMPOUNDED OF MILK, EGG WHITE, POWDERED SUGAR AND GIN. ON PHIL'S ADVICE, Mo PUT IT BEHIND THE BAR SO LUCKY COULD CONSUME IT IN PRIVATE buck let out an adolescent guffaw and handed two guns but first to brimstein reckon i better check my shootin arms pardner he explained adapting his hillbilly accent to cowboy lingo mo accepted them tested one by shooting out a light in the ceiling and put them away likewise carstairs gave up his weapons with the added injunction that mo was to sell them and use the money to buy more liquor when the bar gave out. Juno, with a smacking big whiskey in front of her, leaned across Phil and assured Mary, From now on, I'll believe every word nuts tells me, especially you and Sash. And I'll always tell you when we're lying, Mary assured her back, rather mumblingly, since Dion was nuzzling her. As customers drifted into the bar by ones and twos, Brimstein called them to join the party. As soon as they did, they became as friendly and glowing as anyone else. After a time there was a small crowd, and Moe did nothing but pour, shake, and serve. Shortly he quit the shaking part. Mary broke away from Dion and picked up the Brimstein doll and hugged and kissed it, saying, "'You dear, dear man!' Mo paused for a moment in his bartending to shut his eyes and quake ecstatically. Then Lucky came out from under the bar and jumped on it and walked up and down in a very lordly way, but with a definite lurch. After a bit, he jumped down in front of the bar and the crowd parted for him. The drunken green creature zigzagged with dignity toward an exit. Mo heaved himself over the bar, spilling several drinks and called out, "'Come on, everyone, let's have fun. Everything at double A.P. is free.' And so the Bacchanalian procession began to weave through All Pleasures Amusement Park, with Mo serving as Bacchus, lucky as a leopard, and, thought Phil, if the others only knew about Dion. There were nymphs aplenty as Mo invited each girl to leave her concession, after everybody that wanted had a turn and mo had explained how the games were gimmicked and all the prizes had been distributed or at least offered once or twice concession owners bleated indignantly at mo's rallying cry it's all free folks but their objections always dissolved at lucky's arrival the procession grew steadily larger occasionally groups would leave it to go on free rides but there weren't as many of these groups as might have been expected and they always seemed to be happy to get back mo was enjoying himself with godlike capacity he skipped like a lamb on the rubberized surfacing he had a word and a joke for everyone and could always think of a new stunt to cap his last perhaps he reached his high point when he loosed a tiger and two black panthers from the animal show arousing no fear they wove in and out of the procession happily accepting caresses from everyone but apparently getting the most pleasure out of lowering their necks to rub luckies phil was enjoying himself thoroughly especially while romping hand in hand with a cute redhead from the visit vicious venus show but every now and then, the thought of neglected dangers and duties returned to nag him. On one of these occasions, Juno threw a big arm around his neck, almost knocking his head off, and said, Got troubles, Phil? Give them to Mamma Juno, and she'll throw em away. Oh, boy, do I love that green monkey. He's got the best little formula for living there is. Hey, look at that she was pointing at carstairs and buck who had discovered a concession titled in flaming red phospho flare kick the lovely lady into your arms and were happily struggling for the procession of a very large mallet which apparently had something to do with the game after some puzzling phil understood the game was the age-old one of striking a target on the ground which caused an indicator to jump up a pole with the typical late 20th century addition that, if the indicator reached the top of the pole, not only did a bell ring and lights flare, but a huge hinged lower leg with a cushioned boot swung down and rudely lifted a lovely lady off a perch some three feet above the winner and into his arms, if he were ready to catch her this last couldn't have been any too sure since the lovely lady was one of the glamour girls pushing fifty rather than forty at present she was glowering cynically at carstairs and buck as if certain they were infinitely more interested in the mallet than in her she wasn't yet under lucky's influence as the green cat had momentarily romped off with the black panthers to the tail end of the procession the two happy hep-jerks got things settled between them and took many mighty thumps at the target. The indicator jumped high, but always hesitated just heartbreakingly short of the top. The onlookers sighed sympathetically. By this time most of the Baccalanian procession had gathered around the Lick the Lady concession. It was strategically located between two bars and opposite the mind-clearers as they chastely labeled themselves in blinking red fluorescence, and a dismal cavern mouth called pluto's palace beside which was an inaccurate model of the solar system with the planets revolving jerkily mo brimstein was refreshing himself with a pitcher of beer his attendant nymphs had rushed him from one of the bars Two black shapes came undulating in from the outskirts in pursuit of a green flash, as Lucky returned to his proper position, bringing the other felines with him. Then, as Carstairs started to toss aside the mallet with an amiable grin of defeat, Dion de Silva came charging up and grabbed it. He stripped off his jacket and shirt, revealing an extremely hairy chest and back that dion man is sure male looking mary murmured to phil appreciatively eyeing her hero with those cute ears he's just like a little old satyr dion flexed his impressive muscles took up the mallet and crashed it down with a force which the spectators felt with their back teeth the bell clanged the light flashed and the big foot started its descent At the same time, Dora Pans pushed out of the crowd from the direction of Pluto's palace and walked haughtily past Dion, with never a glance at him or anyone else. She was moving toward Lucky with the single-purposeness of a sleepwalker. Disregarding the kicked lovely lady, Dion sprang upon Dora Pans, crushed her to his hairy chest, and started suffocating her with kisses. Phil gallantly stepped forward and caught the lovely lady. His knees sagged. She was now within range of Lucky's influence and pursed her lips invitingly at Phil, but he quickly set her down, aghast at something else. With a sudden howl of furious anger, Dion had pushed Dora Pans away from him so that she fell down heavily. Before anyone could stop him, dion snatched up the mallet and brought it down with a titanic crash on the head of the gorgeous violet blonde i in love with thing like that he screamed ah and he continued to batter the beautiful head and body so that it bounced up and down on the rubber phil was doubly shocked because this was occurring in lucky's presence in fact the green cat sitting calmly in front of phil seemed to be looking on with approval. Dora Pans began to writhe crippedly and lasciviously between blows and to sing, Slap Me Silly Honey in a hideously gay voice. Then her head, flattened by repeated blows, split open. But instead of brains there spilled out fragments of glass, plastic, and metal, some of them with wires attached. Her voice rose in a final, meaningless duck quack, and she stopped moving. A number of realizations fitted themselves together in Phil's mind at this proof that Dora Pans was not a human being, but the most advanced of mannequins created by Fun Incorporated's technicians, a robot operating by scanners and instruction tapes. Why, even her name was a pun from Greek mythology, a rough anagram of Pandora the metal maiden constructed, if Phil remembered Dr. Romadka correctly, at the command of Zeus. As Dion finally put down the mallet, a girl in slacks broke out of the crowd and grabbed Phil's arm. It was Mitzi Romadka, panting and disheveled. Behind her darted Sacheverell Ackley. Jack and Cookie managed to slug Llewellyn, she panted, and tried to do the same to us. We got away from them, but they've gone to warn Billig." Looking around quickly, Phil realized that they had. Standing in the gloomy entrance to Pluto's palace was Mr. Billig, flanked by a half-dozen gleaming sales robots. Only these sales robots had gun muzzles jutting from their gleaming turrets. Billig had a box slung to his chest. "'Any funny business from anyone, and they mow down the crowd,' he called, his fingers poised over the box. "'Dora, stun that cat and bring it here.' The crowd sucked back to either side and showed Billig the wreckage of Dora Pans, with Lucky sitting serenely beside it. Phil could see the horror come into Billig's face as he sensed the golden wave of peace coming from Lucky. Billig jerked up the ortho and fired. The blue beam splattered molten rubber a dozen feet from Lucky and did no other damage before it winked out. But as the dazzle died, Phil saw that the beam's backfire had found a target. Billig pitched forward with a large hole in his head. Then as if Billig's fall had been a cue, A small, fattish man stepped out through the curtains of the mind-clearers. Although he was wearing some sort of partial gas mask, Phil recognized Dr. Romadka. He pointed a stun gun, Lucky collapsed and was still, and the night's eerie peace shifted in a finger-snap to a churning terror which seemed to Phil to take the form of a palpable vibration, a wailing roar. Romadka darted forward toward Lucky. Beside Phil, Mary Ackley jerked something from the pocketbook and waved it in the air. "'Anton!' she screamed menacingly, and when the psychiatrist looked her way, she swung the doll of him sharply against her foot so that its head snapped against her heel. For a moment Phil believed she was a genuine witch, for Romadka pitched forward on his face but then he saw that the wailing roar had been that of a dozen squad cars converging on the spot from all directions and rocket-breaking so close to the crowd that there were singed legs and screams men uniformed and in plain clothes piled out and barked and pommeled the crowd into a semblance of control the man who had jumped from the foremost car lowered the stun gun with which he had knocked out Romadka, it was dave greeley for a moment phil wondered bleakly whether billig mightn't have made arrangements with the government for a deal involving the cat naming this place as a rendezvous then out from behind the fbl man stepped morton opperly peering about with great interest and phil decided that this was a world in which you couldn't even trust noble-looking old scientists pretending to be great liberals and babbling government top secrets in order to win your confidence he held out his wrists for the handcuffs chapter nineteen